Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. As of October 1st, consumers of nicotine vaping products in Canada must grapple with another rise in the cost of living, and this time the increase in costs are not a result of inflation, but of a new federal excise tax. First proposed by the federal Liberal government in 2021, the vaping excise tax was introduced in the 2022 federal budget and passed into law on the 23rd of June this year. The October 1st deadline created enormous challenges for the Canadian vaping industry as it worked to implement a hastily derived framework for the new excise tax, which now applies to all nicotine vaping substances manufactured in Canada or imported for use in Canada. The federal government gave industry just a little over 90 days to do what many say would be impossible, and that is to apply for and receive tax licenses arrange for surety bonds, and a supply of excise tax stamps appropriate for vaping product packaging. Invest tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, into the purchase of tax stamps. Secure sufferance warehousing to allow for the stamping of imported product. And finally, hope and pray that the stamps would arrive in time for domestic manufacturers to stamp products destined for sale starting October 1st. Needless to say, for each of these critical steps, the Canadian vaping industry was met with poor planning and government delays. Joining us today to discuss the tremendous impact that the Canadian government's new federal excise tax is having on the Canadian vaping industry is Daryl Tempest, Executive Director of the Canadian Vaping Association. Daryl, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Brent. Well, right off the top here, Daryl, please describe for us what exactly has happened to the Canadian vaping market as of October 1st. Well, I think you, um, your intro did great justice to the challenges that the industry faces. So the first is the unknown. So you talked about Royal Ascent coming on board. So that 90 days to, uh, to onboard the regime, the pressure wasn't only on us, it was on the infrastructure of the government to be able to supply all of those tools that you had spoke about uh, to serve an industry that at, at end user, at consumer, is a little over $2 billion. The other thing that's interesting in terms of the regimes is that Canada has a sole source uh, in order to uh, produce these stamps. It's called Canadian Banknote. It's a private company here in Canada. So our stamps uh, that were destined for us are also very similar to those that are coming from cannabis. So what you're having is great amount of unattributed demand that they can't track. So they needed data modeling in order to be able to set the timelines. So if you look at the engagement, and I guess I could say it this way, Brent, I'm not new anymore. Um, I've been around for some time now. Um, but since uh, S5 and um, uh, bringing vaping products into regulation, true engagement for understanding for government with our industry has never happened. So they have made a lot of assumptions mostly poor played and poor planned right now on their behalf, just because the tools that they said that they'd have ready for an industry to onboard are, read, are not readily available. Um, people, for example, have their licenses but can't seem to log on to the site in order to order their stamps. Now, the longer this continues, after December 31st, no one's stamp products can be sold at all. 
So if we're seeing the amount of delays that we are now, um, many of the domestic manufacturers in this country will not be able to withstand that. They will not be able to sell their products. So it's going to do one of two things. It's going to shut down Canadian businesses um, and or um, open up for those to sell unregulated products, either uh, whether they know it or, or, uh, or don't. So, I mean, let's get to the crux of it because it actually physically is the crux and that is the excise tax stamp. And for everybody out there who's a vapor, you should be a former smoker. And so you're used to seeing, you know, stamps on cigarette packages. And of course, as you mentioned on cannabis and so forth. So it's that physical stamp. So if a manufacturer of vape juice does not have that stamp, they can't sell that product in Canada. These stamps are like money. You are accountable to them. So if you lose them, you have to give them uh, the equivalent in, in cash. So and with uh, penalties uh, as well that it can be attached to that. So the, the stamp regime is how your product moves. So in our case, when you look at uh, disposables, because I could imagine that more than uh, a few of your uh, viewers would use disposables. Well, you got to get those stamps to China, get them to stamp it there. When you order your million or two million units, whatever your order looks like, um, there's also Chinese New Year. So you don't have the stamps now. You can't get them there in enough time for them to manufacture stamp. Because one of the things, if you're dealing business with international or countries like China, if you give them 5 million stamps, you're giving them $5 million plus fines and penalties. So that has to be secured and understood. Um, never has a excise tax regime uh, been onboarded on an industry this quickly um, in, uh, in history. So not only did it catch the industry scrambling, but the industry isn't even in scramble mode in many cases, right? Um, because they haven't got the tools to even start the scramble process. Uh, that would be very difficult for any industry. So to be fair to the departments within government that are responsible for implementing a tax like an excise tax, from what I understand, they've been fairly responsive. It's just that even, you know, there wasn't enough time. This happened over the summertime. We're talking about just after two years of COVID, we're a government who can't even get passports out. Uh, you can't even get through a line at the airport and they dropped an excise tax onto this industry. And, and so there was just some impediments for the government not being able to actually really react quickly as well. And that's where a lot of the active conversations are being had, or we hope to have, um, is this needs to, to be paused. Everyone needs an equal opportunity as well because some stamps have shit. So who picked who gets what stamps? You know, uh, it's almost better now with Chinese New Year to ensure that our domestic manufacturers have their stamps for safe supply. And we've talked about safe supply, you and I, Brent, many a time. Um, uh, but many of your experts have come on the show and talked about that. Uh, theory and, and thought processes of safe supply because that's when you know you're uh, getting a product that's regulated by the government. So we always call for that kind of system, um, you know, quality manufacturing uh, to make sure that the products that go into um, uh, uh, into consumers are safe. These these are the roles that government is supposed to play. 
No one is debating the government's right to tax. The second provincial tax will end up being a complete uh, disaster if they follow through. Um, um, there's a report uh, that we have that we've given to the federal government on what the impacts of this tax is going to be. But we can't even get to the impacts if the infrastructure isn't ready to onboard the industry. So we need to get the taxation right. We know we're going to be taxed, but this implementation period is not sustainable, not even uh, just on industry's part, but uh, uh, government's uh, inability to uh, to deliver. And the folks at CRA, Canadian Banknote, and at Finance, and we're talking on the bureaucratic side, have been open, transparent, talk through the issues uh, uh, with us. They understand it. So there hasn't been a, uh, um, uh, a lot of communication between those impacted to bring these products to our market and those who are charged with implementing it saying that, okay, we're not, we can't get you these things. Um, so truly is with now at the, at the minister level and uh, the minister freelance level, they must stop staff to hopefully be able to showcase them that neither you government nor the industry based on that is able to have compliance. So I can uh, imagine, and I certainly talked to many of our members today, uh, are not manufacturing. They didn't manufacture as of Friday. So how long can that continue? And Brad, just to show you the real impact on this, is that there is a lot of custom-made order companies in, uh, in the Canadian market. So when you order your five bottles or your six bottles of juice, for example, they make them for you right there. So if they don't have stamps and they start ordering live and in time in that environment, and I I can I can pick up six companies right now that do that, they cannot operate. So their businesses are shut down. There's a bunch of product that is still for sale. There's inventory out there that's not a part of the tax regime. But once it gets sold, then it must be replaced by new product that comes from a stamped a stamped facility. And just think about shipping stamps. You don't, these stamps, you can't just ship over by pure layer UPS. It's the same as sending money. So you send it in a brakes truck, right? There's three manufacturers or three uh, shipping companies that we can use. We get a list of them because it's secured cash. You know, when you talk about sufferance warehouses, because if you were to bring products here to stamp them here, you have to do it in a sufferance warehouse. Many of our members have been told they're suffering warehouses. We called every single one on the list that they gave us. Every single one. Either, no, we don't have capacity to be able to bring in those types of products, or we do not deal with your type of product. So they're like, yeah, you can deal with your problems here domestically. Uh, for those who don't know what a suffering warehouse is in very general, general terms, it's a place where you can bring need to be have duty paid into Canada without the duty having to be paid because you can't leave that warehouse without that duty stamp on it. So all of the disposables that come into the Canadian market are imported. I mean, those are not manufactured. Every single one. Every single one. So that means as of today, unless the disposable has a stamp, which was either, you know, you sent it over in a Brinks armored car or whatever across the ocean to China so the manufacturer in China can uh, fix that stamp and then it gets the product gets imported here 
or the product comes into a sufferance warehouse here where it's very secure and that's where the stamp is applied, but there is no sufferance warehousing. So putting my Machiavellian hat on here, this says to me that the federal government is just is just implemented a, a pretty effective way to drastically cut down the number of disposables that are coming into the Canadian marketplace. Yeah, it's it's a little less of a thought process on that because you they can ship the disposables as long as retailers can sell them by December 31st. They need their stamps on December 31st. And actually has far far more reaching impact over the short term on our domestic manufacturers. You know, under the scenario that I just I just gave you. And it's, you know, it's even if you want to really put uh, some thought process into this, if uh, and these are the types of conversations I have with elected officials all the time, is that you're going to crowd the market with the product that you suggest is the problem, which is these sleek little disposable devices, which everyone says leads to youth experimentation. Fact is, is that an excise tax is a sin tax. It's generally applied to products that uh, are conceived to have a cost to society. And that's a little bit different in this case because this product is a harm reduction product. And, you know, millions and millions of people believe that it helps save their lives as opposed to being something that costs society. But yet, there's still the elasticity and inelasticity of demand that the rule, the iron law of economics comes in here. So when we're looking at in Canada, forecasted is that if is that the demand for vaping products is elastic. And that being the case, it's anticipated that there'd be about $240 million in revenue brought on into the federal coffers in the first year as a result of this excise tax. Now, if that happens, that means a reduction of revenue for the Canadian vaping vendor, so that's, I would imagine, the whole process chain through from manufacturer to retail, a $365 million drop in revenue in the first year. And then, as you were mentioning, when it comes to the province, if the provinces decide to jump on and tax with this excise system, well, that will mean an additional revenue of $396 million and a loss of vendor revenue totaling 609 million. It absolutely will decrease uh, uh, just from a pure economics point of view. That's what, that's what you talked about. Is that, you know, there's 1,400 jobs across this country, uh, sorry, 1,400 businesses across this country that employ Canadians. It's an absolute destruction of that infrastructure. And, you know, I find it ironic, Brett, it's going to be a destruction of the infrastructure that is the one where they have to be of age of majority to walk in. So let's go back even two or three years to the irony of that, which is we close down the very uh, access point that we crave in order to deal with uh, youth experimentation with vaping. So a complete destruction of the, of the retail arm. Um, your uh, product categories will contract greatly. So the amount of products that Canadians can get uh, contract a great deal. Um, so you would be really, you know, uh, best case scenario of access to convenience stores and a, um, a view storage will take product. 
within those channels. Um, but for the uh, independent retailers, for example, that was that's complete uh, complete death. The other thing too is like over the short term. What about the revenue they wanted this year? We're trying to give them money. The money they so desperately need through what you just talked about, COVID recovery. Uh, you haven't seen big statements from industry in terms of taxation. It's it's realizing that this is the pathway that we have to go through uh, to make sure that we can serve our customers and, and, and survive, to make sure that this category continues to grow. You know, we should be here talking about what would be effective vaping, gums, hypnosis, uh, 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 jogging to get the other 4.5 or 4 million smokers in Canada off smoking. That should be the only conversation we're having. But what we're having now is that we can either have a bunch of underground supply, which we have a ton of in Nova Scotia, and we have a ton of uh, growing uh, like wildfire in New Brunswick. They're prepared. They're, the black market is 100% prepared, and these guys are sophisticated. Like, Let's look at the illicit cigarette trade, where 30% is illegal. Absolutely where we're heading. So there's two parallels that vaping can share with the world. The first uh, parallel is taxes, smoking rates go up. Nova Scotia is right there. We have the best live data in the world. We don't even need any more. And it was taxes how we figured it out. So smoking goes up and your black market absolutely thrives. And if you can make millions upon millions of cigarettes, you're sophisticated. Have people come back. People don't get sick. People don't die. There isn't rat poison. I remember that's what I always heard about illegal cigarettes when I was a kid. Oh, they're full of rat poison. Okay. Except for where's the dead people? So apparently not. It's just cancer. And that's the real point. So as we go through um, uh, this, we need engagement from freelance office to pause this to give the agencies and the bureaucracies support and time in order to onboard the industry all at once and to make sure that we have safe supply, we don't uh, feed the black market. And the money that you had budgeted, the industry has everything in place in order to give you what you asked the industry for. So if you have 40 million units, and you only get 500,000 stamps, even though that seems like a lot, how's 500,000 stamps and no promise for anything else? So we can't even forecast, Brent, that we can confirm with anyone that we will have stamps in February in order to sustain a monthly national need. So the clock is ticking, the clock is ticking to December 31st. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some unfair competitive uh, situations that would arise because I would imagine at some point there's going to be some retailers out there that have a lot of stock that was stocked up before October 1st and some retailers or maybe some very popular flavors that are already sold out. So there'll be a mix of some excise product even within one store or, or store to store uh, a competitive advantage. Well, if, for sure, if if, uh, if you're shipping your product today from, say, a distributor to a retailer, it has to have a stamp today. 
So if you have a whole bunch, not everyone is engaged um, across the country. There's a lot of business owners who don't uh, follow this or, or even know how to find us, to be quite frank, right? Because it's tough to advertise so unless you go knock on every single door. Um, but there's going to be a lot of products out there where some people have all kinds of it, but they can only sell it till December 31st. So there will be competitive disadvantages in the market. Uh, the other competitive dis- disadvantage is if domestic manufacturers can't make and ship their products, but importers can. So they can ship uh, November 13th without stamps as long as the retailer uh, uh, sells it by December 31st. So that part is is uneven as, as, as well. So then how many stamps do you ship? And, um, you know, how do you secure it? Uh, these are all global supply chain issues. And I don't know if anyone's gone out to buy a car lately, um, but, you know, I one of my buddies has waited a year for a car and I can't find one for my family because my car was, I had one car and it was totaled. So if you look at the global supply chain, it's touching every part of us. Um, so this tax um, unless they decide to push cigarettes up even more. Um, but then when it comes to disposable income, those with nicotine addictions, a good portion of them are, uh, are mid to low incomes who can't afford those, those types of bikes. So we're really preying on more people are also weakest, which is with addictions. Now would three months uh, of moving the deadline, the Jan one deadline with three months, make a difference? Well, you're guessing. Because you're guessing of when all the, the systems, the uh, computer systems, the stamps are available, that the global supply chain is ready, like specifically China, after the Chinese New Year. So those preconditions have to be in place in order to say, yeah, three months from there, then we can get it onboarded. So right now, uh, my best guess estimate, I ask for a year. Um, but I think working with government uh, and their mapping our industry and getting far more involved in, in, in understanding it, then I think it's six months. I think government still needs another two or three months to get done what they need to get done. And if we can rely on, on their completion, then we will, we can uh, most likely get there in that, uh, 90 days from there. So on some of the great Facebook groups and so forth that are private for vape vendors and so forth, Describe for me what the feeling and the mood is uh, amongst the members. I think it's mostly probably what some of the viewers are going to take away from this interview, which is confusion. So some stamp ships, some didn't. Some people say they're ready to go. Are they really? Am I going to have product? You know, am I going to have nothing? Am I going to have to lay people off in, in December because before Christmas uh, for their families? Because I won't have enough products to to uh, get hold of. I mean, these are heavy decisions. You know, um, one thing about the the industry is it really is made up of a lot of small entrepreneurs. Even convenience stores are like that. There's a lot of uh, small entrepreneurs that have blessed Canada and, and help build their communities with their with their support too, and what the, uh, what they've offered uh, for the people in their neighborhoods. So. These are a lot of like mortgages, foods, everything that goes along with it. So with the 
with the inability to be able to support that, the only way to do it is some people that sell cigarettes are just going to continue to sell cigarettes and hopefully more to make up for the difference or, um, or, or start uh, watching our category go heavy in the black market. And in and around the TVPA, when the TVPA came through, Brent, um, there wasn't really much of what the black market that you see today. This has solely been created around the design of policy decisions. So uh, the black market, and let's call it what it is, criminals, are basing their decisions and their business decisions on the flaws within how the regulations are put together. It just, it sets the market. So one or one or another market is going to get set. So currently in cigarettes, at best knowledge, I've heard it's much higher and it's coming in much higher, that we've agreed as a nation to split cigarette sales 70-30 with criminals. Some people are concerned that maybe vaping will no longer be cheaper than smoking that it would be more of a parody with cigarettes. However, I'm not certain about that. Is vaping still going to be cheaper than smoking? I think if you look through it, uh, it's still slightly uh, less than smoking. Um, it will be more than smoking if the provinces uh, double up. Um, I think really what we're trying to get to um, as part of this process is to talk about relative risk. This product should be taxed on its relative risk or something thereof, recognizing that this will have far less expensive impacts on society. We have to, as an industry, also understand the fact that we are only really to market 10 years old in any sort of scale way. So we have to acknowledge the possibilities that the outcomes are unknown. I have to do that all the time. But the uh, impacts of smoking are known. So anything that pulls you away from that, hence relative risk. So there is no agreement in Canada, the relative risk between vaping and smoking. It continues to haunt us. It haunts us with flavors. It haunted us with our right to exist. And it's haunting us with taxation. Daryl, if the government could extend this deadline for implementation, like full implementation, like something like June of next year, is that enough time then for, and it's not even for the industry to, to provide and get things done. It's mostly for the infrastructure uh, to service the needs of industry in order to properly implement this tax while still servicing customers and still saving lives. And that's, that's exactly it. So again, I go back to my point, which was, uh, in no way do we advocate for them not to have, or for uh, for our nation not to have a tax on vaping products. Uh, we certainly uh, ask for a far more effective rate to meet the objectives. So what are the objectives? There should be only two objectives. The first objective is to get people off of smoking to extend quality of year, uh, quality of life years lived. That's objective one. And objective two is revenue for the state. I've said a couple of times, we can't give the federal government our money currently to get our stamps to sell products 
to deliver on their commitments in their budget. So that's the two objectives. And whatever is successful in meeting those objectives makes for good policy. You see a lot of talk about taxation and what it's going to do and how the money's going to be deployed. Because I think it's a great idea to tax a product where you can take those dollars that you tax and put it in things like enforcement. Let's go after the people that are breaking the law. What I would say to finance is this, um, if I'm imagining I'm in their seat, is they made a lot of assumptions of what this industry is because they were put under the gun because cannabis only deals, for example, mostly with domestic producers. So we have now come out as a very complicated industry. You know, you got big tobacco, you got small entrepreneurs, you got lots of little uh, importers finding products throughout the uh, throughout the world to bring to market. Um, all of those players are there and they have to be accounted for. So the system for nicotine cannabis was built loosely around cannabis. It's just, they're not the same thing. So I think that realization has come. We really need to dig in because no one went through a full process review with industry. We sent uh, some documents into finance saying, here's where these products come in, here's how long it takes, here's the order time, uh, and all these things that are quite, again, dry. <laughs> Brent, I'm sure I'm not as exciting as I usually am. Um, but on the other side of that, there is the very real prob uh, probability of product shortages and pretty uh, deep ones if this does not get addressed. So we are very much in engagement mode uh, with government and we're looking at all options to us, whether it be um, MP engagement, uh, legal, uh, more studies, uh, any path we can to make sure that the product flow to uh, the 1.2 million vapors in this country continues and the conversion does not stop.